This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey backpackers, Bird Shooter here. And tonight on the show I speak with Philip Werner, who you might know from his popular website sectionhiker.com, where he's provided educational content and reviews of hiking and backpacking gear since around 2007. But tonight on the show we spend a lot of time speaking about the TGO Challenge, which is an annual backpacking event that lasts for 15 days in the Scottish Highlands of the UK hiking from sea to sea over about 200 miles and via a variety of pre-approved routes that draws around 300 hikers each year. In the show we discuss his two completed TGO challenges, his canceled 2020 attempt due to COVID-19, and some basics about the annual hiking event. So if the TGO challenge is on your short list for backpacking adventures in Europe, uh, the show's definitely worth a listen. We also have a uh, chance to discuss the food Scottish haggis, Philip's passion for the White Mountains and his related guidebook, and his transition from a full-time software job to a pursuit of hiking and a better life. Here's episode 77. All right, this is Bird Shooter. I'd like to welcome Philip Werner to the show. You might know his name from his popular website, sectionhiker.com. Noted for its detailed gear reviews and educational hiking and backpacking content. Philip joins us from the Northeast, where he frequently hikes in the White Mountains and has created a free online guidebook of the area titled Backpacking in the White Mountains. Philip, welcome to the show. Oh, hey, thanks, Steve. Nice to be here. So I know you're in the Northeastern United States. Uh, I assume you're around one of the White Mountain. Uh, towns that's uh, surrounding the, the, the foothills there. What, what town exactly? Uh, I'm uh, located right outside of North Conway, which is pretty much home base for a lot of the uh, sort of alpine uh, climbing on Mount Washington. Yeah, and, and you know, I hiked through the Whites uh, during my through hike. had never been there before. was absolutely blown away. The ridgeline trails are unbelievable the, the the views you get from there in all directions you just don't get very often in the south um very curious to ask you is that is that your most favorite place to hike in the united states absolutely <laughs> in fact i've kind of gotten stuck here i i uh i hike here i actually live like 25 yards from the national forest boundary and um I hike here all the time it's great. It's fantastic. It's again year round too. I mean, there's skiing, there's ice climbing, there's uh, you know winter hiking, backpacking. It's just a fantastic playground. Yeah, I mean, beautiful country, no doubt. Um, I am curious to ask you: Did you grow up in that part of the country? No, I grew up in Pittsburgh, of all places, okay. and uh, which is nice too. It's great hiking in Pennsylvania, and uh, but I I uh, moved to. Um, uh, Boston, the Boston area after graduate school and, uh, and uh, a- after, you know, about 30 years there, <laughs> uh, sort of uh, moved up to New Hampshire because I was spending so much time up here hiking. 
Yeah, under, understandable that uh, you would want that in your backyard for for sure. Are you? Uh, are there other areas in the United States you're particularly fond of? Or well, I guess we're going to talk about Scotland here in a minute. I know you're very fond of that, but any other U.S. and international uh, destinations that you particularly enjoy? Uh, yeah, I have to tell you the truth. No, not really. In fact, travel is you know long distance travel has become such a hassle that i'm i'm really quite happy just to stick in this area so new hampshire and really south uh western maine is uh really kind of the playground i like to stick in i definitely understand why you chose that area um now you mentioned boston i understand that you uh were involved with the appalachian mountain club which you i'm sure in the northeast call appalachian um But uh, just kind of curious to get your experience with them and your involvement and what all you did with uh, with that chapter. Well, I'm I'm still uh, involved, but m- much less less so, especially now with the pandemic, because it's so hard to hike with other people uh, in organized, you know, organizations and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I belonged uh, to the the Boston chapter, which is the largest chapter in the club. And uh, was uh, or am a, a what's called a four season leader. So I'm qualified to lead group hikes um, year round, including winter. Uh, and um, you know, I, I actually I probably lead less hikes these days, but um, still uh, occasionally uh, uh, run wilderness um, navigation classes with the chapter. Okay. Uh, that's a you know bushwhacking off trail hiking is a passion of mine yeah it definitely ups the game it makes it a lot more interesting you can do some very interesting bushwhacking in the southeast actually to some peaks that a lot of people don't visit exactly exactly Um, so i mean is the is the amc the oldest trail club in america i i wouldn't be surprised And, and you know you know nothing against the sierra club but you know, we were a state, <laughs> or, or Massachusetts was a state before California, or wherever the Sierra Club is, is founded. But, but um, uh, I, I, I think so. It's certainly the richest and the largest. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of those trails existed, and, and some of the listeners probably know, some may not, that uh, before the Appalachian Trail was completed and i think it was 1937 the amc had already existed they already had a network of trails in the northeast right you want to talk to that yeah well i I mean uh the the boston chapter really just uh or or the the appalachian mountain club you know facilitated the at but it's separate from the at that's i mean their their main mission in life is not the appalachian trail um uh but but a lot of their, um, I'd say, uh, practices contributed to uh, all the, the trail construction and trail maintenance um, foundations of the Appalachian Trail. So a lot of a lot of the segments of the AT uh, are managed by sort of local chapters uh, along the AT. But um, I wouldn't say that the club is really focused necessarily on on the AT as its prime mission. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, I know they're pretty active and uh, you know way beyond the AT up in the Northeast, exactly. and, and they do incredible work, by the way. You know the structures they build and the way they maintain the trails, and 
Uh, I, I know they collect a lot of fees, but they do plow it back into the uh, the area, which having walked you know through there, I, I definitely have a lot of respect for the work and the uh, management that they've done. Um, no, it's a, it's a mixed bag. I mean, they they uh, you know they're not necessarily uh, viewed always favorably by the locals, but it, without them, the impact, especially in terms of human waste and, and uh, you know, sort of um, overcrowding would be significantly worse without them. Uh, without a doubt. Yeah. So so on the topic of the whites, uh, and I know, and you obviously have a guidebook, uh, as we had mentioned earlier, but um, if you had to pick, like, maybe some of your favorite hikes in the whites, are you, are you willing to share them without uh, sending tons of people on, on your favorite routes? Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, okay. So I'm, I'm something called a redliner, um, and uh, that's that's there's a guidebook up here which has uh, uh, it's called the White Mountain Guide, which has 651 trails in it, and I've hiked all those trails once, uh, at least once, and I'm I'm working on a second round right now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that I actually don't have any favorite hikes. The hikes that I'm <laughs> I consider my favorites are the ones I haven't done. Um, I, I just am always I'm not really repeating hikes. I like uh, kind of doing new things pretty much constantly, and there's no shortage of that up here. Yeah, well, I, I definitely understand that. I mean, you know, it's fun to explore and see new things. You know, in yeah. ter- in terms of exploration. Um, I mean, you grew up in Pennsylvania. I actually grew up in Ohio, not not terribly far yeah. from you, about three hours uh, west, but uh, learned to ski uh, very close to you in uh, Seven Springs. I was trying to think of the Seven name. Yep. Yeah, spent some time in Hidden Valley, which, uh, again, in Pit- not far from Pittsburgh. But um, yeah. in terms of hiking, um, you, you know, was that where you did your first hiking backpacking trips? Uh uh, yeah, actually, uh, Laurel Highlands Trail, uh, which is, goes right past Seven Springs, uh, hiked, hiked through there, um, did the C&O Canal down in Maryland. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, the whole sort of, you know, that whole region, that western Pennsylvania sort of, you know, West Virginia area was pretty much home turf. Yeah, you know, I think, and to put it out there, and I th- I'm curious to get your statement on this. I think Pennsylvania actually gets a bad rap on the AT, um, and I can't necessarily speak to the trails outside of the AT because uh, I haven't hiked them as much. But, you know, a lot of people talk about the rocks in Pennsylvania, the snakes. Uh, a lot of thru-hikers are going through in the middle of the heat. But what people never talk about in Pennsylvania, at least on the AT, are the um, outstanding shelters that are built there. Yeah. Uh, the the numerous parks and um, public swimming holes that y- you have access to. And just the convenience of being able to get food and um, resupply very easily on the AT in those sections. I actually really enjoyed Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania is not bad. It really isn't. I I think it gets a way, way, way bad rap. More of a bad rap than it deserves, especially among the thru-hiking community. But anyway, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Well, like like you said, I mean, I I don't think it's, it's that hard or that horrible. I mean, I mean... Compare your experience in Pennsylvania to the White Mountains. Oh, well, that's fair. <laughs> and, and you were actually on the on a, a fair AT here up through here is not that hard, so um, you, you were on an easy part. So I mean, I think it, the the trail conditions up here are far more rugged than Pennsylvania. 
Yeah. Now I think the I mean, you know, but you and I both know, right? The whites yeah. have views that you're just not going to get in exactly. some some of the mid Atlantic states. So that's fair. Um, I did want to ask you about. I know you spent some time in software as a career. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been in technology my whole life. Somewhere I read that um, one of the reasons you enjoy being in the outside so much is that um, you worked inside a lot in software. And I, I very much understand what you're saying there, just to be outside when you're in an office all day. Uh, but now uh, you, you've essentially left the corporate world and um, you, you're, you're full-time wilderness. Uh, I, I, do you want to talk about that decision and where you are with that right now with sectionhiker.com, et cetera? Yeah, well, I, you could say that I'm a full-time wilderness, but I still spend a lot of time on a laptop. <laughs> um, but but uh, I, I originally kind of was really attracted to the outdoors. Um, you know, I kind of turned 30, you know, and I was in consulting and software and all kinds of stuff, startups, and was working my ass off. And I, I found that the thing I really liked about the outdoors is that no one could reach me or bother me <laughs> when I was off on a backpacking trip. And, um, and I, this was sort of a, the time when I was uh, hiking the long trail in Vermont. And, uh, you know, I, I, every time I would go on a backpacking trip, I would get this sort of instant relief and rejuvenation, right? because I could think I wasn't interrupted constantly, you know, how the software industry is. And, um, so I internalized that. And when I had kind of gotten section hiker kind of cranking over, um, and I could foresee that I might be able someday to live off the, you know, the advertising revenue produced, I decided to leave the software industry. And I, you know, I, I, had accumulated my, my wife and I leave a very lead a very frugal existence so we had savings and stuff and we have no debt and everything so it was a, a reasonable gamble so that's all good <laughs> yeah yeah you know um I've, I've interviewed a number of people that have ventured out to follow their passion which I respect and and they all say the same thing right you know you know you got to be frugal you got to be um smart in the way you spend your money but it's absolutely doable so I admire you for that. Um, I do want to ask you the long trail, of course, in Vermont um, versus the whites, which are predominantly uh, what New Hampshire, although, you know, you, you get into them close to the Vermont border. Well, I guess the whites are entirely New Hampshire, right? Uh, no, the whites the whites are uh, New Hampshire and Maine. Oh, and Maine. So you're going to count Maine in there. Yeah, southern Maine. So yeah. how, do you, how do you – do you want to try to compare the long trail in Vermont to the whites? Well, it's uh, I, I'd say you know the whites have many many so whites are are uh, you know the, the long trail is just a kind of a narrow corridor uh, along a long ridge uh, and uh, you know it's an easy half and a harder ha- half but the whites the whites have many different regions but I, I'd say in general you know at least with the sort of higher peaks the whites are considerably more difficult than the long trail. Um, I, and, I, I, you know, I've only hiked to the long trail, the Southern portion for uh-huh. on the AT, but, um, I, I gotta believe that the whites probably have a lot more views. Is, is that accurate? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, there are probably hundreds of mountains in the whites. So, um, and a lot of them don't have trails on them. 
and uh, so the views are outstanding. I mean, you, uh, you literally can have hundred mile views. You can see New York and Vermont from some of the peaks actually right outside my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel up. I'm with you. I, I can say, honestly, that was one of my favorite parts of the, the entire Appalachian trail. So I understand your passion there. Um, I do want to shift gears to Scotland for a second because uh-huh. I was very impressed with um, the TGO challenge, which you, which you I guess have hiked a couple times. So, sounds super ex- interesting. I'm very very curious to ask you about your uh, your experience on the uh, on the TGO there in in the Highlands of Scotland. So, uh, just a little bit of background: the TGO TGO stands for the Great Outdoors, which is actually a magazine um kind of what it's kind of a hardcore trekking and and backpacking kind of mountaineering magazine uh it located in in uk and scotland and they sponsor and has sponsored for um at least 30 years or 40 years at this point a annual challenge which is to hike coast to coast across scotland which uh, ranges from, depends where you start and, and where you end, but ranges from about 180 to 230 miles, okay? And it occurs every May, and you have 15 days to do it. Um, and um, so uh, the, at the latest stage at this point, there are 400 participants you have to apply. Um, you have to have uh, good hiking, backpacking, and route finding, especially navigation skills, uh, in kind of mountainous terrain. And um, you start from one of, it's like 12 or 13 different possible locations on the West Coast and hike to the East Coast. And uh, everybody, so hiking in Skyland is in like Sweden is sort of one of the two places where you're allowed to actually hike on private property without permission. Okay. Um, and so what that means is that you can hike cross country. Uh, and in fact, you pretty much have to, (laughs) there's no, there's no trail, (laughs) right? You have to literally define your route, uh, across country. And so that requires sitting down with lots of maps and, you know, mapping programs and actually uh, defining your route. And so I, I've done it twice before and uh, had intended to go this year, but we got canceled out because of the pandemic. Yeah, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, it takes weeks to, to define a route. You define the route you, and then you submit it uh, for review. And experienced uh, hikers, um, very experienced hikers in Scotland, um, review it and make sure it's safe because uh, you can really get in trouble there. Um, and um, they're called vetters uh, and give you some feedback and you modify it and then it's accepted. Um, and then you go hike it. Uh, and like I said, you, you do quite a lot of uh, cross-country navigation, which I think is the best part. Interesting. And there are lots of mountains. In fact, that it, you're basically hiking through one, two, three, probably three different mountain ranges. Okay, uh, and I, it's just stunning. And m- moreover, there's nobody there. <laughs> yeah, most of Scotland is actually owned by ninety-five percent of Scotland is owned by five percent of the population, which primarily owns these large estates where they uh, raise deer for venison. Interesting, which is really 
a bizarre sight. You're hiking cross country and you see, you know, 5,000, a herd of 5,000 deer. Yeah. It's very like, bizarre. It's like our cattle in the West, right? You know, it's, same thing. Exactly. exactly. And um, so there's nobody in between. There are very, very few resupply points. Um, and so there's a, a certain logistic dance that you have to do to resupply. Um, and then as you get closer to the East Coast, people converge and you start to meet other uh, challengers. Uh, and it becomes a little bit more of a party atmosphere. So, um, but, but not till you get close to the coast. And you're going coast to coast. So is it that way when you start or just only when you're finishing? Coast to coast. You put your foot on one, one sea and put it in, in, in the other sea when you get to the other side. But I, I guess where I was asking was socially, are you not seeing a lot of people on the front end? Or are you mostly catching them on the back end? You'll, you'll catch the people who start at your location. But after that, they pretty much uh, separate. And okay. you, you might run across some people. I've I've actually have friends who've done it literally dozens of times. They could, they do it year after year. I have one friend who's done it over twenty times, and who arranges um, wine and cheese parties <laughs> in the middle of wilderness or the wilderness. And in Scotland, uh, people people use the equivalent of sort of UTM. A, a UTM coordinate system uh, called the OS grid for denoting uh, locations. And okay. so send out wine and cheese applica- uh, invitations that have a, an OS grid point and say, <laughs> we're gonna be, at, at this day, in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> usually on a mountaintop someplace uh, for a party. It's, it's really kind of a good, it's a, a good time. That's very sophisticated trail magic. I will, yeah. I will give you that for sure. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned trouble earlier. Like when you define trouble on the the um, TGO challenge, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about boggy, uh, sinking in mud conditions? I mean, what what is the trouble going across the mountain ranges? How do you mean? Yeah, it's 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 you know Scotland has no trees, so um, and uh, the weather can be extremely bad. Um, so in in May, um, you might have you'll definitely have lingering snow on the on the higher peaks, um, and uh, it's there's an enormous amount of water. Scotland isn't actually a country; it's more of an island floating in the sea of bog. Um, and so, uh, what people do is they they create high roots and low roots, and they'll. Uh, just like in the whites, people like to climb mountains. So you'll you'll try to climb as many mountains as possible. But on bad weather days, which are really defined by high winds and rain, horizontal rain, um, you'll you'll aim more for the valleys. Oh, just to get out of it. How frequent yeah. is that? It, it sounds like May is the season. Well, How- May is May is actually the beginning of better weather. It 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 really. It just depends. Sometimes you'll be blessed with, you know, a week's worth of high pressure, and other times it'll be horrific. Huh. So it varies. But May is the TGO challenge. I guess you May could, is, you, could obvi- you could obviously do this any time, right? But uh, well, winter, actually, winter... The, the only real good times to hike in, in Scotland are May and September. Hmm. Uh, the rest of the time, uh, they have uh, what's called midge season, which is basically, imagine, no CM hell. Uh. Uh, I've been there. It's in Canada. It's called black flies. Exactly. Well, well, so, of. so May is before the onset of mid season. Mm-hmm. 
the window of opportunity. Gotcha. And you mentioned routes. So um, are, are there predefined routes that you can submit, or do you have to come up with some unique route as part of this? You, you have to come up with a unique route. Now, oh. now you can, you know, people always contact me and say, can I have your route? And, and they may take it and modify it. And actually, one thing you find out, uh, if you're if you're a first-timer, uh, you'll sit down and define a route, and you'll, invariably you'll define something like my first-year route, <laughs> which is a, a reasonably conservative route, maybe with uh, 10,000 feet of elevation gain, okay, you know, and and 200 miles. And so you can you can you can make hard routes or easy routes. You don't have to hike off trail. Uh, you don't have to climb mountains. You can literally just walk roads if you want. But no one wants to do that. Yeah, sure. And um, when you fly in, is there a general point that most people fly into to do this trip? Well, most people don't fly in. They take the train from uh, the south. Um, Since very few Americans or relatively few Americans uh, do the challenge, it's mostly U.K. participants uh, with a smattering of – Americans and Europeans. Interesting. So, um, like, is there a typical start and finish point, or? Well, like I said, there there are I, there are about a dozen or maybe thirteen, fourteen start points where you you have to sign out uh, on a sign out sheet, and so you you'll meet people who who begin there, and then what what they they have is they have since they have all of your routes, they have a, a sort of a central. Um, monitoring center called challenge control uh and they literally track you across country uh if you're you go solo or with somebody else and you have to check in three times uh during the course of that and they do that to make sure that you're safe and sure yeah what what's more common i mean is it more common for people to go in groups you know i i don't i think it just varies i mean i mean i've done it uh, once solo and once with a partner and it sort of depends what you're up for. If you, if you, you know, uh, are feeling nervous, a partner can be good. Uh, although sometimes it can be bad. <laughs> it really depends on what, you know, what you feel like. Yeah, sure. And you're, you're pretty much intense the entire time. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be though. I mean, you know, when I've done it, I, uh, every couple of days stop in the B and B and have a shower and a decent meal. So you, you can, you can do anything you want, really. You just can't, you just can't get into a wheeled vehicle. You have to walk. So that makes sense. I'm curious about the B and B part of it though. Could you literally stay at bed and breakfast the whole way? People do. Really interesting. Yeah. Huh. People do. Now, t- talk about wildlife. You mentioned deer, which I guess aren't technically true wildlife, but uh, what, what else can you expect to see on the hike? Deer. <laughs> that, that's, that's it, huh? Deer. Pretty much that's it. That's funny. Deer, rabbits. You, you'll see grouse, pheasants. Um, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of uh, kind of – you'll see rats and stuff. I mean, there's not, not a lot of wildlife. I mean, there's – one poisonous snake in Scotland, but it's uh, it's just a viper. It's very rare. You really don't see them at all. Um, so it's, it's pretty tame. It's actually a great place to hike. You don't have to worry about. You can cook in your tent. You don't have to worry about bears. There are no bears. There's nothing. 
right? So um, it, it's in some ways low overhead. Yeah, no, it's I, I'm intrigued. That's why I'm asking you so many questions about it. Um, and, the, and the views, my God, I mean, the, yeah. the mounds are unbelievable. They're unbelievable. And like I said, there are no trees, so there's nothing obstructing the views. They go on for hundreds of miles. It's incredible. Deep valleys. And it's incredible, really. Was there ever a point when you thought you might quit on the TGO? Uh, on the TGO, no, never. Not once. Now, now, I know you had some fun experiences, so do you want to give us the best and the worst? Something really funny that happened to you that were really exciting and maybe something that wasn't so exciting? Well, I think, I think the most exciting uh, experience I had on the, on the TGO was the first night of the first trip. You know, I had, I had hiked into um, – uh, <laughs> I'm sort of at a loss right now. Uh, this beautiful glen, and I found this beautiful campsite, and it was next to a waterfall, and that was just – I think that was just this sort of, you know, I've been planning this trip for months, years actually. And that was probably the high point. I mean, one of them, right? Just this incredible sense of well-being and personal satisfaction to actually finally be there. Um, That's the, that's probably the, probably the proudest moment and just sort of the most rewarding moment I, I can recall. Um, in terms of sort of like a terrible experience. So one of the things that you can't do, right, when you fly to, to Scotland is is take fuel on a plane. And so I had arranged to uh, meet somebody at my start point who was going to buy me a can of canister gas. And we didn't meet. And so I had to actually spend the first week without any gas, which was sort of a problem. Um, um. <laughs> so I was basically rehydrating ramen noodles. Oh, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound too appealing. Awful, awful. So I mean, I only survived on on some of the you know packet gourmet chicken salad that I had brought in along. Um, but uh, that was sort of the pits. But but generally, it's a good experience. I mean, they're challenging. They're challenging points, but um, uh, yeah, I, I actually I probably the biggest. In some ways, the the one one of the biggest challenges is just the 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 fact that you're wet all the time. That's probably one of the big ones. Oh, that that does and, not sound yeah, fun. I mean, they're like you know you probably do ten or fifteen stream crossings a day. There's just so much water. So so going in September is not going to change the water factor. It's a it's more crossing streams and less getting rained on. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. How how was it like you thought it would be and how it was was a totally different you've done this a couple times but you know can you compare the two trips and how they were like you thought they would be and how they weren't well you know i uh, my last one was in 2013 so it's a little bit a little bit old at this point but um uh you know i think the second trip i, I was hiking with someone i'd hiked with before so uh it pretty much went as i as we had planned the first time uh, was just a completely novel experience and everything was new. Um, and, um, I guess what is surprised me about it, uh, probably the most was the social aspect. So even though you are not really interacting with a lot of people who are also on the challenge, 
they really you know, welcome you with open arms. I mean, you know, you have some interactions with people and they, those increase as you hike east, but it, it, it's a wonderful welcome feeling. And I, I'm still incredibly good friends with many of the people I've met uh, on the challenge to this day. So are the locals, I mean, you know, it, if you're only doing 400 people on this thing, it doesn't sound like the locals are overwhelmed like they might be on the AT. Are the locals pretty supportive of this whole this whole program? Super, super, super supportive. You know, the, the common refrain is, you know, are you on the challenge? You know, everyone knows about this. And so it's just, it's a very popular event with the locals. I mean, you have to understand there are like three or four towns <laughs> between the East Coast and the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, wow. There are a lot of people. <laughs> I'm amazed. I'm amazed you can even have any social experiences if there's just the, the you know only those few stops. What what would you say the total days that you were out there was? Well, most people do it in thirteen or fourteen days. Thirteen or fourteen, and mileage again was uh, one eighty to two thirty. Okay, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'm very intrigued, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, you should apply. I mean, it's it's great. Yeah. Now, what gets what gets people rejected? Just out of curiosity. I mean, what if you don't get a? I mean, I guess you just have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're probably going to get rejected, right? Well, I mean, there are multiple stages where you can get rejected. So, one is you have to apply. So you have to have some demonstrable mountain and navigation experience. So if you you know just hike the AT, you know, ask yourself. Can you use a compass? Do you know how, you know how to use like? Can you actually know how to do overland navigation, right? Um, so I don't know what their criteria is, but um, you know, a long trail long trail experience is great for determination and motivation and perseverance, but you still do need the skills uh, to to hike cross country. Yeah, and how do you how do you show them that you have those skills though, right? I mean, they're looking for a certification. What are they looking for exactly? Um, I have no idea. Hmm. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not 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 one of those those folks. I mean, I, I think you just have to have a good story you can tell. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> right? That's fair. Um, uh, and then you have to you have to actually plan your route, and I think that's probably where they they they, they weed you out. They weed you out. I yeah, gotcha. so okay. you have to meet a, a deadline. You usually have like three or four months to plan a route. Gotcha. And that takes a, a major commitment. Uh, just, and just to plan it, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I mean, I, the second time I did it, I, I, actually, the third time I did it, uh, which was in January, it took me like three weeks, just total concentration, to plan out the route. I was hiking with a partner who'd never been, so. It sort of fell on me huh. to, to figure out, okay, how do we go? What are the safe routes? You know, what's the best sort of a, a good compromise between energy, exertion, safety, so forth. So, yeah, takes takes a lot of work. Yeah, was there ever a point where you suck? You know, you got sucked down to mud to your knees. You sank that far, or yeah. is is that yeah. kind of hiking? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you, you learn through experience how to hike through a peat bog and there there is a way to do it uh requires a lot of attention to figure out where the the drier spots are and what 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 is the difference what how how 
uh, solid mud looks from versus uh, sort of sinking mud. Uh, but you can do it. Uh, but yeah, I've had some scary experiences. In fact, that, that was one of the scary times. I was uh, about um, two thirds of the way across and went up to my waist and I was alone and it took a while to get out. <laughs> it was just like kind of a, a scene from Tarzan movie, if you remember those. Yeah, it almost sounds like quicksand, to be honest. Yeah. But, oh, totally. You know, yeah. that, that's pretty wild. I mean, before I, we move on to your, your uh, website, you, you have any parting advice for somebody doing the TGO challenge? Maybe your top three tips? Um, yeah. Um, well, I, I would highly advocate not wearing um, a Gore-Tex boot. <laughs> really? That's interesting. Yeah, I you really want footwear that drains extremely well. Hmm. So your feet uh, your feet are wet the whole time, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I actually the TGO kind of pretty much broke me of boots. I really? switched to trail runners, um, and never looked back because there's so many stream crossings. Well, actually, the TGO didn't break me. I think the AT broke me. But um, there's so many stream crossings that that your best bet is just to keep your shoes on and walk right through them. Wow. I'm hearing that your feet are wet the entire time. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Unless you're sleeping? Well, I mean, they're, they're drier, drier old paths that you can follow and whatnot, but generally they're pretty much wet. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't sound fun. What well, that's we... the white mountains. Your feet are wet a lot. Yeah. I mean, okay. You know, so, and, and certainly in Maine. So, so that'd be, that'd be number one. I, I, I'd worry about that. You know, I, I, um, then, you know, I'd get a, I'd get some experience. I, I bring a shelter that has, um, that's good in the wind, really good in the wind, um, because it's very windy in Scotland. Um, and so you should practice pitching that at home. Um, and probably the best wind shelters are sort of, you know, pyramid shaped. Um, and, um, well, stove-wise, uh, you can bring a canister now. The canisters are canisters with with American-style uh, screw-ins. You know, screw screw connections are 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 widely available. They weren't ten years ago. Okay. But you can do that, so you can usually do that. So the, I think those would be my three pieces of advice. Was there any point where you thought you were going to get completely blown off the mountain? Um, once or twice, but not, not too bad. I mean, you can always do what everybody else does is go down, <laughs> right? You, there are valleys everywhere. Well, you got experience on that from the whites, right? That's a great strategy yeah. there. And, and that wind will howl on the whites, uh, which yeah. I'm sure you'll back me up on there. And, and, and actually, you know, the, the weather forecasts are really fabulous in the UK. So you, you, they're much better than the US, Scott. Really? And yeah. And so you can actually get a pretty good, I mean, as long as you have, have cell network access, which is more prevalent these days, you can get a pretty good weather forecast. So you, you know what's up. So just give me the town you started in and finished in to, uh, if, the, if the listeners are intrigued by this whole thing and they want to try to, you know, game out their own route. Um, well, um, well, you did two, so you got multiple probably answers here. Yeah, so I, I take a look at a, a town called Torridon, T-O-R-R-I-D-O-N, Torridon. Okay, okay. Unbe unbelievable mountains, un just incredible. Uh, it's on the on the west coast, 
and uh, Finnish and Montrose. Okay. On the, on the East Coast. Both both times, or did you uh, you did you've done two? You planned three, so yeah. I've I've started in Torridon and Shield Bridge, which is also an amazing amazing town. Um, both pretty high up uh, on the. Uh, on the west coast so Torridon is probably i mean Torridon is so far north when i uh i did my my second challenge rather than take the train there i took the train to a, a town south of Torridon and literally hiked cross country to get to the town um because transportation to it is so terrible um and then uh shield bridge is beautiful as well uh it's uh kind of opposite sky these are these are both these are actually quite far north. They're like two, three, four hours north of Glasgow. Okay. They're way up there. Um, you're you're roughly in the same latitude as Moscow. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's up there. Hey, I got to ask you about the food, too. Did you eat the haggis? No. You didn't? Never. <laughs> do, 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 do a lot of hikers eat the haggis? No. Do you want to talk? <laughs> do you want to talk about it? No, I have no idea even what it, I, I barely know what it is. The thing, the thing, you know, the thing that I really eat when I'm there is cheese, oat cakes, and cake. I mean, those are the really good things to eat. Yeah, apparently it's a, um, it's like a pudding containing heart, liver, and lungs from a sheep, and then you kind of mix in some onions. Totally gross. And, I, don't wanna... I mean, essentially, uh, like it's, it's encased animal stomach, but I guess it's yeah. very very um and i think there's some oatmeal in it and some spices the, the totally the totally the gross things that people eat there are, are i think the grossest things are uh blood pudding ah. like blood sausage and and white pudding okay. which is which is oatmeal and brains huh interesting for breakfast, for breakfast. give me a break wow yeah um okay i guess you're mainly yeah. you're mainly sticking to your your dehydrated yeah. food, I'm guessing. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm still kind of shook by the whole haggis. I don't. I don't know if I could eat that. Um, the Scots sounds like they're very, very friendly toward Americans. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Scots are great. Scotland is just, you know, just a fantastic country and um, great sense of humor and um smart people and really down to earth yeah my kid my kid had a uh a scottish soccer coach he was awesome uh oh, great. he just finished his season but he he was he had him for four years he was great um so we're gonna move on now and i want to okay. ask you um so you're married correct yep is your wife a hiker absolutely not <laughs> So I'm so curious to ask you about uh, how that works because um, my wife is super physically active and she kind of likes to hike, but she's not a big backpacker. Um, you know, how do you manage around that? Very we, curious. We just have completely different passions and, you know, but we enjoy each other's company. Have you ever tried to talk her into one of these trips? No. Okay. No, she she's definitely not a get dirty kind of girl. Okay. <laughs> you know, she's a, a foodie and a bookworm and likes to hang around the house and, and hang out with her friends. Yeah. And okay. Just not into hiking. In fact, she's always asking me, 
So when are you taking another backpacking trip? It's great. So, yeah. it's, I mean, it sounds like she's super supportive. That's awesome. I'm totally blessed. Yeah. And then there's a lot of pretty badass women hikers out there. So, I, you know, I think everybody's got their thing. And, um, you know, you, you and I have both not married the backpacking type. So that, that's where the question came from. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So let's move on to sectionhiker.com. So that's your um, website. And you've been out there for a while, right? Did I Do I understand that you originally kind of launched around 2007 yeah we I, I launched in 2007 and I quit the software industry in 2010 and um, you know it just started as uh, me blogging about the long trail <laughs> and there weren't a lot of people blogging about hiking and um, you know it just sort of took off in that little community and and then I, I, I guess I just, you know, then I kind of fell in love with the whites and it, it grew from there. So I'm, I'm, you know, very localized in that, in that sense. But, but, you know, I've, I've hiked a, a big chunk of the AT and um, write about um, all kinds of things. And, you know, so my, it's sort of, second hiker sort of followed my evolution as a hiker, I guess. You know, like I said, started on, on section hiking the long trail, uh, and then section hiking the AT, and uh, then I got involved with the AMC, and then uh, there was a whole sort of leadership and um, guiding dynamic, uh, and uh, you know, so I was guided a little bit for Andrew Skirka School in in the Whites. Uh, and then started teaching wilderness navigation and bushwhacking and winter mountaineering. And so I, I, I developed a sort of vast skill set and just fell in love with writing about it. I'm curious to ask you about Andrew Skirka for a second, because obviously yeah. somebody that's well known in the hiking community, it sounds like this is a full time thing for him. You, you want to talk about uh, your experience, uh, you know, working with him in the in the Northeast? Yeah, he's he's fantastic to work with. He's uh, incredibly smart, a fantastic educator, um, and um, you know, real pleasure to work with. I mean, I was basically his White Mountain sort of contact and uh, helped him plan routes and and classes up here, and then uh, guide and teach them. So we're just a great guy. Yeah, and he's got a you know pretty incredible. Uh history behind him in terms of some epic epic long distance hikes right so i mean what just very interested to hear your um takeaway learnings from andrew because he he must have well you know what a better question is the best andrew skirka story you ever heard i, I haven't seen him for a, well i see him once a year actually out west uh when we when we go to outdoor retailer okay but um you know, we did a couple trips together. I mean, don't really have any great stories. Um, you know, we, we had some interesting uh, groups of people go through the course, but nothing tremendously disastrous or anything. Um, but he's, like I said, a, a fantastic person to uh, be taught by, a great educator. Uh, and, and the thing that that I wish I had, which is I wish I was a, I wish I was a track star like him. <laughs> he, he's just a natural born athlete. Yeah. 
he, he really likes it. He leverages that, believe yeah. me. Yeah. His stamina and the distances he, he does and yeah. what, what looks to me as incredibly difficult terrain is impressive. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so to get back to you, so sectionhiker.com, um, what what was the kind of driving force behind that? Are you, and and who, who do you think the core audience for you is? You think it's day hikers or section hikers or um, people just starting out? Well, I I actually write for a broad audience, um, and you know we have have three hundred thousand readers per month, so it's a huge international audience. It's it's ninety percent of it's in uh, North America, and it you know we cover everything. We we you know I I, I write probably ninety percent of the content on the site, but. Um, you know, some things are about navigation and off-trail hiking, and some of it's uh, winter and and backpacking and, and day hiking, and largely reflects my experience. That's what I do. And I, I noticed you guys, uh, or you specifically, but you have help, obviously. You recommend a lot of gear. Uh-huh. Do you have a favorite? A favorite? Can you give us your top three, your favorite pieces of gear uh, well, I currently? Well, I my favorite personal pieces of gear, um, uh, they'd be a uh, hyperlight mountain gear, you know, 2400 Southwest backpack, uh, a pair of, uh, pacer pole hiking poles and trekking poles. And, uh, probably my, uh, La Sportiva ultra Raptors <laughs> trail shoes. So, um, you know, I, I know you do a lot of reviews. Have you ever had a uh, a vendor get upset with one of your gear reviews? You don't have to oh, name the vendor. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And and you know, uh, I've had them get upset. What what I what I, you know, and I I'll give them a voice to rebut it if if they want it. Um, but you know, you have to look at at um, sort of different types of companies some companies you know like the, the big uh, uh, multinational corporations in the outdoor industry really don't care all that much if you give a piece of gear a bad review generally um, because they they have the sort of PR mindset that any news is good news um, any coverage is good coverage now, when it comes to smaller companies, what I try to do is because I have such a because our, our website has such a vast reach and we we can influence the industry so much, I work with smaller vendors. If something is really pathetic, um, I'll contact them and see if we can work modifications to the product um, and, and re-review it at a later date. Because the damage that Section Hiker can inflict on a small company, can oh be yeah, sure, terminal. So, and and like I said, I came out of the, the software startup segment. I worked in a lot of small companies with like less than five people, and you know, there's a certain responsibility I feel for smaller companies. And I don't want. I, I want to support them in a in, as much as I can, but. But at the same time, one thing that I feel very, very strongly is that if a piece of gear sucks, uh, I'm certainly going to tell the audience, the, the readers, because they are my first and foremost priority always. Right, I mean, right. You, you just have to have to focus on 
your readers. You know, and I have a longstanding personal relationship with dozens, if not hundreds, of the readers because they've been reading the website for such a long time. So I feel obligated to, to tell them the truth. Yeah, so it's a, it's a delicate balance between yeah. um, you know telling the truth and not destroying a small company's reputation. Yeah. That that's got to be tricky. Yeah, it is. Well, I I think I manage it pretty well. So. You know, between the gear reviews and uh-huh. um, the responses you get on gear, which I, I was impressed. I looked at your website for a while. I noticed, you know, you have a lot of interaction from people on various, you know, trip reports or gear or whatever. Um, but anything that particularly amused you uh, regarding a gear comment or just a comment on your website in general? Well, so one thing I, I realized really so so the focus of section hiker is on hiker education that's the bottom line every everything is about educating hikers and i'm not necessarily the expert all the time that's why there's so much interaction because i get enormous amount of benefit learning from the readers um and but but the the point i wanted to make was even though there are a lot of gear reviews on the site they're a vehicle for education and it's something I discovered very early on with especially Amer- American readers unless something is couched in the commercial context you can't really get educational information across and so kind of makes sense and so what what I try to do is explain and and this is why a lot of manufacturers come to me and ask me to review gear I try to explain how to use it what it's appropriate for, what it's not good for, because uh, there's no such thing as best gear, right? The best backpack or any of that BS. Um, there are very specific circumstances where something is going to was designed for and is going to, going to be optimal for, right? And so um, vendors look to me to sort of fill in the gap between the REI product listing and how to actually benefit and use the gear. And that's that's really what I try to do is fill that gap. And, and it's basically an education gap, I feel, um, whether whether gear is appropriate for particular individuals and readers uh, in, in their special circumstances. And, and really what I try to do over and over again is get people to think critically about what is it they really need <laughs> um, when they're hiking, uh, you know, for example, with a tent, if you're in a, in a windy location, you need a tent that's going to survive in the wind. Right? Scot- Scotland or the whites, right? I mean, they're exactly. both exactly. You got well, a lot of experience there. Yeah. Well, actually, most of the camps you're not allowed to camp above tree line in in the whites, so most of the campsites are actually fairly well protected. But in Scotland, you have don't have that luxury at all. I mean, so uh, and it's that kind of thing. And, and so really that's what I try to do on the website. And I just keep pounding it out <laughs> over and over again. And people get it, you know, and I think that's the value. It's more than just a, this is great year. And I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. It, this is how you use it. Hey, so Philip, I think it's worth noting that, um, and we talked about gear a lot on your website, but you actually do a really good job. I think of sharing trip reports about trips you've done. Um, do you, you want to talk about that aspect of your website too? Yeah, I, I actually, uh, really a couple of years ago, shifted gears 
I, I still write trip reports, especially uh, in you know my longer distance trips. You know, I, I was on Cape Wrath Trail uh, last year, the year before, which is another a long distance trail in Scotland, and also just my TGO trips. And I, I occasionally write backpacking trip reports if there's something really kind of meaningful. Um, but most of the time, I write guidebooks at this point, and, and mainly because I'm hiking in the whites and I've hiked everything so much. <laughs> Uh, what I'm trying to do is um, help people who are new to new to backpacking or day hiking um, get the most out of the experience. You know, direct them to great hikes, and um, it again, it's educational um, about what to expect and how to lead leave sort of a minimal impact on the national forest because we want to protect it. And so uh, a lot of my, my backpacking trip reports are now more guidebook oriented. Um, uh, again, to the Forest Service is a great organization, but they do a terrible job, terrible job at communicating what the local regulations are and how to leave no impact. And so I'm trying to fill that gap uh, by um, kind of nudging people about how to respect the wilderness as much as possible. So, Philip, I got to say, though, in, in defense of the Forest Service, <laughs> and I'm just going to talk the southeast here, but with this COVID thing going on, um, I was actually very impressed with their uh, updates and alerts on their website. And this is in the southeast, so I'm not going to try to compare it to where you are up in the north. But um, they were really good about talking about trail closures, what was open, what was closed. Um so I, I just want to put that out there in their defense in the uh, South. I can't they, speak to the North. They are awful, awful up here. Okay. I mean, it's terrible. They were good in the South. Yeah. And I can't no, speak they, to the West or anywhere else in the country, but they must have better funding because there's, they're awful up here. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, let me think what else I wanted to ask you here. Um, Oh, I got a great question for you. So you've got a website. I've had one, I think I've been online since 97, 97, yeah. if you can believe that. Um, yeah. So you get people, they reach out to you, comments. I get them. I know you get them. What, what's the most bizarre suggestion, comment? You want to talk about a few of those? I'm so curious to ask you. Yeah, I, I don't really get those. I mean, they're all pretty rational comments. Um, you know, people are always trying to promote their websites and all that stuff and, okay. you know, put backlinks and stuff. So I, I, I actually kind of delete all that crap. You know, it's strictly real, real content, real conversations. And, and one thing the manufacturers like about my website is um, the fact that they're like, we're always amazed at the amount of interaction we have with the readership. So, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of people contact me um, offline, if you would, through other other means of contact. I have sort of information request forms, and I have a lot of conversations there, and but also on the website. And there's lots of comments. It's fun. Love it. Um, but um, I, I really ride herd on um, getting rid of the crap. You know, there's not a lot of BS um, and and spam comments on the website. Okay. Well, I think that's important, right? People yeah. people want to cut to the chase. Yeah. Um, so in closing, some questions here for you. 
Okay. I know you do a lot of section hiking. I know you've section hiked a good chunk of the Appalachian Trail. What what sections do you have left? I have pretty much everything from central Virginia south. Okay, so you haven't hit the south yet, man. You get down to Georgia, you got to ring me up. Yeah. I don't I you know, I I have real mixed feelings about hiking the rest of the AT. Really? Yeah, it's so just it just seems so crowded and so not focused on hiking. It depends on when you know when you're hiking, right? You you could definitely come down here. Uh, what I, I would suggest the fall or even the winter is a November. great time. No, yeah. that's what I'm thinking. November. Yeah. yeah, I think you'll really enjoy your experience in in Georgia. North Carolina can get pretty cold at that time of year. Yeah, um, you get some mountains that are you know. That's true. They're That's they're true. higher than what you get up there in the whites. Uh, you're talking six thousand feet plus. But um, what uh what what what's on your list though? I'm very interested in other section hikes, other long distance hikes. I I know you've got a wish list. No, actually, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. You are kidding me. I mean, no, I'm I'm not kidding you. I mean, the 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 next thing I really want to do is. Um, uh, I want to write a, a backcountry fly fishing um, uh, guidebook uh, for uh, the White Mountains that focuses on small stream fishing. Okay. And that's largely bushwhacking. Okay. You, yeah. That seems to be a reoccurring theme with you, Philip, the, the, well, the bushwhacking. I, I, you know, I like, I like, uh, so the thing, the, the great appeal of, hiking always for me was adventure right i'm interested in in high adventure and um with the the crowding that we're seeing on trails uh bushwhacking is a great way one to have a a real adventure right you're you know you have a map but you really don't know what's there right uh on the ground and you have to find your way and that's an interesting navigation exercise, and um, and uh, you know you're you're away from other people. It's not crowded at all. Yeah, and I, I should mention to the listening audience here: you, you you do some pack rafting, you do some bike packing. You just mentioned fly fishing. Uh, I know you do backpacking and hiking. What what's your? Do you have a favorite? If you had to pick. No, no. What I, what I have found over the years, I I used to be a class four whitewater kayaker, as well. What what I what I found over the years is you can really only do one thing at a time. <laughs> mm-hmm. You try to mix it up too much, none of them get fed. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So you have to kind of do one thing at a time. So. Hey, so to get back to backpacking, since this is a uh-huh. hiking and backpacking podcast. Um, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. You have any tips for those that are venturing out for the first time? Because it sounds like you know you're in a lot of ways. Um, your website's around trying to help people learn how to do things. Um, any major tips? Yeah, just just you know, be conservative your first time out. You know, don't bite off more than you can chew. I know a lot of us are chronic bite off more than you can chew types, but you know, you don't have to hike 30 miles a day or 20 miles a day, you know, go hike five or 10 miles a day and enjoy yourself and, and 
relish the experience. Uh, it's not a death march. So I, like I said, just, just be kind to yourself and take it easy and, and you'll, you'll develop into it over time, but, but learn the ropes. Yeah. If you're having fun, you'll keep doing it. I think that, exactly. that's where you're going with that. And that's so true. Yeah. Um, Hey, on a different topic, uh, what do you think the greatest challenge we face in the hiking and backpacking community today is overcrowding. I would agree. What do we yep. do about it? Uh, we shut down Facebook. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I really, I, I hate to say it, but permits is the only way. Well, so you're up in you're up in the whites. I mean, they manage the overcrowding issue very well. You know, you get a lot of people from New York and from Boston and from um, a lot of the big cities in the Northeast. They manage it well. Do you want to comment on that? Well, they don't actually. I mean, really interesting. Yeah, the 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 whites, the the popular trails on the whites, the really popular trails have have become overrun. Uh, Franconia Ridge and Mount Washington are just a complete zoo. Hmm. Um, and which is why I do most of my backpacking trips during weekdays. <laughs> right. Uh, but, it, and in some ways it's okay with that, you know, in the sense that, um, there are a couple peaks, you know, and, and hikes that everybody goes to. So all the locals know not to go there. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So they sort of you sort of sacrifice part of of the experience, but I, I just think, uh, and, and they've done certain things like rather than people parking on the interstate so they can go hiking up on Franconia Ridge, they've tried to implement, you know, parking shuttles and, and whatnot. That's basically a a permit system in disguise. Um, but uh, I think. You know, I think it's just fees and permits are the only way to really regulate it. Um, I, I can't, I can't think of anything else to tell you the truth. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that's going on in Scotland. Yeah, and that's not a problem there. I mean, the only most people, you know, consider the people in Scotland who are hikers to be complete whack jobs, right? <laughs> I mean, who, who wants to do that? I mean, you got to be crazy, and you don't see anybody. Yeah, I mean, there are popular places in Scotland, but they they tend to be in the you know in in around uh, Fort William and, and the popular towns. But once you get out into the backcountry, there is nothing, nothing. Yeah, maybe the answer is to just keep talking about these other places that people need to explore and spread the uh, traffic out, right? Yeah, the problem is we can't we can't actually leave the country anymore. <laughs> That's no true. No one will let us out. That's true, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And and so so your trip this year got canceled. It sounds like correct. Yeah, it got, it got canceled. I mean, uh, we're still entered. You know, me and my partner are still entered into the challenge if it resumes. But I got to tell you, my my expectation is it will probably be postponed for another year. Are you getting, so? Are you going to? It's, it's a redo. That, but, 2021 we'll try to redo it yeah okay. but I, I, like i said I, my expectations are low well you've done it twice so you got that going for you but uh i admire your interest yeah. in going a third time so as a final question um I, I know you're pretty active on facebook and and twitter and 
Instagram, you want to kind of plug your your different ways people can follow you? Well, you know, the so yeah, I'm I'm active in, on all those channels, but if you really want to get in touch with me or see what's happening, the website is the place to go to. And um, uh, you know, I, I I'm active on probably the most active on Facebook. If you just look up Section Hiker, um, uh, or or just come to the website and you can see the the latest. But we also have a weekly newsletter that has about uh, twenty thousand readers, and that's another good the good place to tap in. We publish uh, five days a week, so there's a ton of content coming out constantly, and that's a good way to get notified about the latest posts. Okay, awesome. Well, I will tell you, Philip, you definitely have me uh, intrigued about the Scottish Highlands. So okay, I, well, you should apply. I'm trying. Well, <laughs> I, I, well, you and I may be talking about a route here in the future, but oh. uh, but thank you for uh, joining the show and you know just telling us about SectionHiker.com and you know as I said, especially about the Scottish Highlands because the TGO challenge sounds like something I want to do. Oh, it's it's uh, you know just a great experience, and, and like I said, you'll you'll make friends for life. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, thanks again, and uh, you know, if you get this way and you're going to do the southern section of the AT, you need to let me know. Yeah, thanks much. Really yeah. appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app, and give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at n2backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.